schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Wherever and however you are joining us, thank you for doing so here on the Full Court Press. 501, second hour, your start time here. Eric Franson there. I'm Ajay Salveson. Thank you for joining us. You can also find us at 1069thefan.com as our stream, your streaming option, if you'd like. Um, you know, Eric, I I try really hard when I come into work not to laugh at like, man, what am I going to hit today? Like, What am I going to talk about today? It's just like it's getting harder by the day. It really is. And if it wasn't for Dick Pound, I probably wouldn't have no sense of humor. <laughs> You've been waiting all day to try to work that into Man, something. I have been so I spent I might or may not have spent twenty minutes reading replies. Just <laughs> 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 announce stories. This is the uh, IOC some... official who commented to USA Today <laughs> earlier this week about uh, the Olympics. He was the first to be a mem- an official member of the IOC board and to say that uh, the Olympics, Summer Olympics in Japan would be postponed. And he kind of forced their hand to make a, an official decision the next day. They're trying to put it off and put it off, saying we're going to take four weeks to evaluate it. So he jumped the gun and said, nah, they're, they're going to postpone it. We're, we're just working out the details. So... At least kudos for him. I mean, the name is one thing, but getting out in front and saying, look, we just got to do this. We got to do, what are we messing around with? It's impossible for teams to train and we can't do qualifying events right now. So let's just put it off. Uh, it's a, it's, it's tough. We get it. Uh, I think I saw something that uh, 90% of all commercial inventory had already been sold. For the broadcast rights uh, for these game, uh, Summer Olympic Games this summer. So that's all going to be put off until a year from now. Uh, and all the facilities and temporary structures that were going to be in place to house people. Yeah, it's a big inconvenience. The, the whole thing with this coronavirus is a big inconvenience. But you know what? we got to roll with it. we got to make sacrifices and try to do the best that we can while keeping our, our distance. Uh, and that's the other thing, folks. Social distancing. Maybe you don't really know what that means. Oh, you do. You sent me home and don't let me come here until like 3.45. Limit your contact. Uh, don't get closer to people than you need to. Six feet is a good a good distance to be practicing. Doesn't mean you have to be in social isolation. So you can still get out and do some things. Just manage your distance. If we do that, we'll be smart about it. We can help slow the spread of this thing. I cannot wait to get get back to you and I giving our uh, endly show hugs. After the show, give us a <laughs> hug. I've missed those. Oh. Whenever I feel like I had a bad show, you give me a big hug and mm. tell me it. You did great. You were fantastic, AJ. You did a terrific job. I missed those. Uh, joining us okay. <laughs> You say so. Oh, yeah. Oh, now you're too cool, huh? You're too big now. COVID 19's got a little bit to your head, it sounds like. Mm, I think you'll have to be a permanent social distancing practice here in the <laughs> office. All right, joining us here on the Full Court Press, Ross Peterson. Ross is a Cass Valley sports historian of athletes coming coming gone throughout uh, throughout the time, uh, and uh, grateful to have him here on the show. He, uh, we've talked actually a few times, and I I keep wanting to get him on, and we finally now have a chance to with uh, with a little bit of free time here. Ross, thanks for your time, my man. 
Oh, thank you very much. I hope you and Eric still get along. It depends as long on as the we day. can keep our distance, we'll be all right. Oh yeah. Anytime I like walk up well, to him, he just. He, I, I think oh. you. I think you were right, Eric. We just got all. Uh, whether we like it or not, we got to do it and do it hard and and well, so that we can keep our families and everybody as safe as we can, and then let science catch up with it, and we'll get back to uh, watching some of the things that we love to talk about. I guess uh, just as a side note, I think one of the the positives of this is that the the close talker in the building isn't as you can't be as a close talker anymore. He still <laughs> no, invades that's... the six foot space, but at least he's not in my face whenever he comes by to visit. So, well, that's, uh, that's good. a positive. There, there, there are benefits. Um, there, there are many of us that are having to be more conscious of uh, of our own family. Why don't they drop by? You know. Uh, why are our children and grandchildren telling us everything to do? Where I thought that's what I have been doing the last few years, <laughs> probably too many years. But, but I just take orders now and uh, hang around home, or I'd be down there in a hug fest with you two. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ross, uh, well, let's start here. Uh, throughout the years, you need, uh, you've been able to see a lot of great athletes come and go uh, out of this valley. Uh, when what has really, if you could, promote Cache Valley High School athletics and the great athletes we have here in the Valley and have had here in the Valley? You know, I was thinking about that today when uh, I was thinking about one graduate of Logan High, one graduate of Skyview. Uh, the one out of Skyview is Connor Mance. The kid from Logan was uh, Gerald Mock. They're both uh, distance runners, I think. One was trying to qualify for the Olympics in the marathon. Another maybe in, you know, one of those obscene long races. But uh, these are kids that have, you know, they're now getting up in their early 20s. And they go notice because they're great. But one of the problems we've always had is uh, our athletes, they almost have to win things to be noticed. Uh, It's it's like a geographic isolation and also to some degree a media isolation. But, uh, but when kids really, really work hard, uh, they have, and, and, you know, we try to find them all here at the university as many as we've got sports to cover, but still occasionally some of them get, get away from us. But on the other hand, the, the, the Valley through time has produced some amazing athletes not just college, but some that even in the early days before there was really big ticket professional sports, uh, we're having an opportunity to participate. Uh, and then there, there's some sports that we've kind of forget about a little bit, like women's softball. I think two of the greatest softball pitchers in Utah history, women's softball pitchers, were uh, Wilma Abrams from College Ward and Fern Gardner, who was at Utah State for many years and coached our team, but they played for the Utah Shamrocks back in the 40s and 50s. We play international competition, and we're just as good as they got. And so uh, I think it's always been part of our culture, uh, the amateur aspect. And uh, nowadays it just seems like if someone isn't going to get a call to the league, then uh, we kind of don't take notice of them. But we've had some amazing people come through this valley. Well, and, and Ross, as you've 
kept an eye on things from uh, your perspective, watching these different athletes in various different sports and how things have progressed. Things, the way that sports are handled, maybe that's the best term to use, um, has really changed a lot, especially over the last 10, 15 years, I'd say, just with uh, uh, maybe a, a hyper-focus on specialization. Sports, uh, certain sports are basically year-round now. I mean, it used to be you'd have a season for baseball, then you'd have a season for soccer, you'd have a season for football, you'd have a season for basketball. They all be separate and isolated from each other. But um, now it seems like you have to pick what sport you're going to do and just stick with it. Yeah, and I think they do it at almost too early an age because sometimes you don't know how the size a person might be or how quick they're going to become as they mature. But, you know, part of it's uh, driven by parents who want to have excellence for their children. Uh, you know, you get the club teams, you get the whole mentality now of, uh, of how soccer operates. And it has had a big influence, you know, in this valley. And, and also now, all, you know, the United States is, is really working hard to try to catch up. But, but they pick those kids when they're pretty young. And then if you get on one of the traveling teams, if you're that good, then it becomes pretty hard to play one of those other sports. And the other thing is a lot of families are sacrificing a lot to pay for it. And so um, my boys, uh, you know, did what you described. You just go from one sport to the other. And and then pretty soon by the end, they were having, you know, AAU basketball in the spring and, and all the summer camps. And then the football coaches wanted weightlifting and they used to have a passing league and, and it just wore you out. The kids couldn't even get a job, you know, or have a job. But, uh, yeah, that's been, I think, one of the biggest changes. In in light of that, though, the, the, there's been several athletes, and we, we're seeing it today. I mean, there's a couple that really, really stand out for those multi-sport athletes that really stand out. Mason Falso is probably the best example of that right now. It may go down as one of the best that we've seen in Cache Valley for a very long time where he's excelled in basketball and in football. Um, right. what are, who, do you recall, what are some of the multi-sport athletes that stand out in your mind when you look back over time? Oh, uh, you know, uh, I, I can go back, you know, part from when I came here as a student, 1959, and then, you know, when I came back to teach in 71. But, uh, you know, one that comes to mind uh I mean, Blair Hodson, who was at Logan High in the late 80s, um, blew out his knee in a non-contact in the state championship football game, I think when he was a junior, ended up going to Yale and becoming a professional baseball player uh, with a Yale degree. And uh, but, but his body got, he got torn up pretty bad. It was one of the worst knee things I've ever seen, it just in that old turf down at at the Rice Eccles Stadium, but but he could have excelled as a quarterback, and he and he certainly was a was a natural baseball player. Um, you know, I think uh, my middle son was all state in both basketball and football, and chose to go play baseball, and ended up uh, having you know three years in the minor leagues. And then uh, Aaron Thatcher was an interesting case because. Mm. Aaron was Aaron was an above average, pretty good size, six 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 seven basketball player, 
and uh, you know I think was probably drafted in baseball higher than any other anyone I can remember from the valley. Uh, may have been someone different, but I, but I think he was drafted in the fifth round by the Twins, and and then he got hurt. He, and uh, you know a pitcher <laughs> that that can be your death. You know one elbow injury. And he, then he went on a mission and came back and hurt it again. But, but as an athlete and two sport athlete, he 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 was very good. There've been there've been many others over time. I people I, I never witnessed him play basketball in high school, but uh, Merlin Olson had great feet, and of course he's known for football. But uh, when when in the old days. Uh, before they got paid very much, Merlin came back to school for a couple of years to complete a master's degree after he was playing with the Rams. And one year he got together with a church basketball team with uh, Phil Johnson and Lanny Nalder, Lanny Gunnell. I mean, it was a stack team. They were probably cheating some way. but you know, <laughs> Yeah, that's I, a pretty good-sized, pretty <laughs> well-known group there. <laughs> well, Phil had just Phil had been a year out of Utah State and been a graduate assistant. And they were big, and they and they won the all church, and so the all church said we can't have students playing with old people anymore. But anyway, they're just a ton of them over time, and and I don't know some of those guys could be like uh, Mason Falstaff. I think uh, you know I think a great uh, he he isn't from the valley, but he but his roots are here. I mean Sam Merrill played uh, football, basketball, and baseball. And uh, I think graduated like in 2014, so that hasn't been that long ago. Uh, an awful lot of people will tell you. I've heard Nolan Ryan talk about it a lot. That he thinks uh, he thinks it's best for kids to to play the other sports, use different muscles, work on different aspects. It's just really so hard anymore the way that it's structured. Uh, and if you if you're thinking of going beyond and trying to do something beyond your high school, you've almost got to make yourself available for a variety of camps or invitations. There, there's just so many different things going on. And, uh, you know, I do it. There's a lot of young women that, that do it and do it successfully. And uh, I think that's been a real change to the opportunities that they've received. So, yeah, I, I think it's, possible but the parents have got to be tough the coaches have got to be a little less egocentric and uh, and the kids have got to have fun it's just got to get and of course if you're going to win state championships it's fun but you know i mean if you're going to work that hard at that many sports and and you know be concerned about uh, a football injury costing your basketball if you're already committed to a basketball scholarship that's something you have to take into consideration and I think a lot of kids have not done it for that reason. Ross Peterson, Cash Valley Sports Historian here, joining us on the Full Court Press. Ross, back in the day when it was a Region 4, and there was, I mean, there was Skyview, Logan, and Mountain Crest battling it out for supremacy, bragging rights, and whatever. How meaningful was the rivalries back then in the day? Because it's not like today where everyone's best friends from everywhere at school. Back then, it was legit rivalry. We didn't like you. They didn't like us. Logan Skyview Mountain Crest. Well, I think even before that, you know, there was a, 
there was almost a, nearly a 20-year period where it was just Logan and Skyview. When they consolidated North Cash and South Cash, you know, in the old North Cash, South Cash, Logan world, they were uh, they were pretty intense. But during the the Skyview Logan years, they tried to play their football game in the stadium, the Aggie Stadium. And after the Spectrum was built, when I first came back here to teach, the the Logan Skyview basketball game was as good as it got in the Spectrum. And so they they do that twice a year for basketball. And it was very, very intense and uh, and a lot of nastiness, you know, that went along with that, with the rivalries. Uh, and then when Mountain Crest was split off, uh, I think they started the fall of 83, uh, it, it it seemed to me that their first their their first real opponent that they cared deeply about was Skyview, and part of that was kind of the way they got split up and and who got cut the year before and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, I think in watching that up close, that was a little more intense than the Logan got into the middle of it, and uh, and it was something that you know every game was well attended. Uh, they stopped having them in the spectrum, but they they would fill the rec center. They would fill the other gyms, and um, you know football was, was always big. Uh, but for every sport, and then you know what's interesting. I think you brought up another point that I saw both with my older sons. It was primarily led by uh, eventually Stu Howe, who coached baseball at Logan High. As soon as the baseball was season, season was over. He'd put together an American Legion team from all three high schools and make them very, very competitive in the state. And, you know, a lot of those kids have been playing against each other since uh, the old county little league days. And uh, Logan had their own little league, and you didn't have the WB or whatever, Western Boys Baseball. And, And so to have those kids play together and develop a team where they could become very competitive, you know, kind of showed that, hey, this is not a lifetime hatred experience. You don't just hold it against someone because they went to Skyview and your children went to Logan or Mountain Crest or vice versa. And uh, I just think a lot of people, you know, evolved into a greater appreciation of the success of of the young people from whatever high school so then by now when there are five of them, you know, it's kind of like a, a community at large with, uh, you know, a lot of good feelings, not that intense late. And especially now that uh, after this year, I think most of the kids that went to school at Skyview together graduated. So then, then it'll, it'll have a new dynamic. But uh, I'm just glad that they've split the schools. More kids get an opportunity to participate whether it's, you know, theater or arts or uh, band, symphony, what have you, uh, drill teams. There are just so much, many more opportunities when you make keep the schools a little smaller. Again, we're talking to Ross Peterson. Um, in the, not only does he kept an eye on sports historically around here, but he's also done a lot of stuff at Utah State University. And, uh, Ross, what was some of the roles that you played as a, from an, a professor – at Utah State, but you had some involvement in athletics in different times of your career. What was that connection? Well, that's a, that's a good question, and, and in a way, 
you know, it's probably something that uh, I went overboard on because, and and I think, it, although I always had a great interest in sports, when I was teaching down at the University of Texas before I came up to Utah State, um, I had a graduate professor uh, up in Washington that got me interested in African-American and so to, to Utah State, one of the classes I was to teach, the class on history of African Americans, and then I ended up dividing it into the also a class on the civil rights movement. Well, that gave me an opportunity to meet an awful lot of athletes through time, because a good share of the uh, athletes would end up, uh, you know, especially the African American kids in one of those two classes. And often I was thinking about uh, when I first met Donald Penn, you know, it was in when I was teaching a big U.S. US history class, a survey. And that's what it is with a lot of them. And so I think I've always felt that from the teachers I had when I was a student here, that that your first responsibility is to the students. And you try to provide for them the best classes and the best opportunities. And and that doesn't matter about race or whether they're an athlete or not. But it, it just happened, I think, because of, um, you know, situations. Like when I first moved here, I was a neighbor to Dutch Belknap, who was the assistant basketball coach, then the head coach. And he used to he used to take me out recruiting with him so I could drive home, so he could sleep. You know, and I was a lot younger then. and uh, <laughs> Before wow. I had a few few extra tickets, and so it was all right for me to drive a state car. But anyway, they uh, it was just things like that, and then the uh, the opportunity to see how a college education really changed lives, because an awful lot of the athletes, this is their one chance at school, and uh, and I just think that what we can do. To help them, because not all of them are going to go professional, not even a, a double-digit percentage, you know. So we've got to have them prepared to be ready to do something else besides what they've done for a long, long time athletically. And it's just one of those things where you could track the people. They, they, were, uh, they, they were more inclined to come to study groups. It used to be the coaches would force them, uh, you know, to do that. But I think... I just developed a lot of relationships that, uh, you know, it's one of the things I'm doing now while I'm just hanging out at home is, is every day I'll try to contact 10 former students. And a lot of them are athletes and a lot of them are, are people that I've stayed in touch with over the time. But, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was, again, I was just caught up in the Olympics a bit, but I remember when, uh, Mark Enyart was running here. I think one of my most thrilling times as an Aggie fan, the NCAA finals were held, in, I think it was 1976, down at BYU. And Enyart made it into the, the finals. And we had gone down and watched him in the semifinals. And then Ralph Maughan, by the way, was also a neighbor. He lived next to Dutch. But anyway, uh, so we went down there to watch that and to see him win that NCAA meet. And I think at the time that maybe qualified him to run one more race to get into the Olympics in Montreal. And and I think that was that was just a great thing. And then, you know, he made a choice after he graduated to train four more years because he wasn't happy how he did at the Olympics. 
to try to make the the uh, 1980s in Moscow, and then shortly before they were going to have him, they had a boycott, and and he never ran again, you know, and uh, had a career in the FBI. But but there are just so many of those types of stories that come from watching these kids as they develop, and you have to have a lot of appreciation for how hard they work, uh, how much is required of them. And at college, you know, the college is year-round. And, and, you know, they have a... Ross, we, hey, Ross, sorry, we've kind of lost you there. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, there you go. I, I was. Just, did you hear me talk about Mark Anyer? Y- yeah, yes. you were just talking about, just, just your most recent stuff about uh, the college part. Yeah, I was just saying college is hard work, and they work year-round, and they have opportunities, you know. That's why so many guys are eligible for the graduate transfer portal is they've been going to summer school since they came here and uh, and they're you know they get they get through their undergraduate degree in close to three years and so if they're not happy they can move on but hey, anyway Ross can you uh, can you stay with us through a break really quickly and then continue with us? Oh yeah, you got to stop me every once in a while because I get diarrhea. <laughs> no, this is great stuff. We've enjoyed it. We were just, we were like, we we were like, hey, we want to keep going. Should we hit a break first? If you'll stick with us through a break, we'll come back and let's continue this conversation with you. Thank you. All right, uh, that's Ross Peterson. He's going to stay on the line with us here. Uh, we're going to come back, and I've got to ask him questions about a couple of really great former basketball players that played in this valley. One of them, we didn't put into our top five of big men and got lashed out by the valley for it and so love to get his thoughts oh, on yes. uh, that one individual and another one who had probably uh who actually led the aggies to uh an NCAA tournament win so long ago and i have to ask him about that one that's all come up on the full court press 106 9 fm 1390 am the fan the full court press on sports talk radio 106 9 fm 1390 am the fan The Full Court Press, Eric France and LJ Salves, and special guest joining us on the uh, on the telephone. Grateful to have him, Ross Peterson, Cash Valley Sports Historian, uh, has given some great stories thus far. This has been fun, uh, Ross. I got to ask you, Nate Harris. I remember watching Nate Harris versus Jake Caressa at a game, basketball game at Mountain Crest, and Nate put up forty three points, I believe, and just dominated that game. And Scavy won by like twenty five. Was Nate Harris? Uh, give me your top three basketball players that you've seen in the valley. You mean from kids here in the valley? Yes, please. Not not the university. Uh, well, yeah. Let's do valley first. Um, that's that's really really hard. I think uh, you know because you see him, and I don't want to leave the impression that all I do is go to ball games, but. Pretty much all I do is go to ball games. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have another life. I, I teach. I write books. I have a family, wonderful wife, and she, I've been blessed because she likes to go with me. But I, I really, uh, it's hard to say because the game changes through time. Okay, so let me ask you this then. Where does Nate Harris stand in one of the great players you've seen in this valley? Well, again, uh you know, in his high school career, the evolution he made from a sophomore to a senior in footwork, positioning, expanding his range, uh, 
blocking out for rebounding. Really, by the time he went to college, he was he was ready to go under Stu's system. And and Stu for big men, they didn't have to be huge. They had to be really smart, just just a little tougher than normal. And and I think Nate Nate kind of did that, but but he did it with a smile. Well, one of the things why people Nate never tried to be spectacular. You know what I mean? He just tried to play to the best of his ability. And I think in the success the team had, and in the role he played in the in on the team, I think he would he would probably rank very very high. When speaking of other players that uh, at the collegiate level that you got to see, uh, who were some of the ones that, that stood out to you? Well, I think probably maybe maybe, and this this is really going back for you guys, but I think probably the best high school player might have been Larisky from Logan. Mm. And uh, at the time, though, I mean, it's a different game now, but he was a huge man in high school, you know. And I'm talking about in the late 60s. I think his his years here playing were uh, 71, 72, 73 maybe. And uh, at the same time, Skyview had a guy by the name of Paul Jepson who was a six foot three point guard that could control a whole game. And as far as going on to college, those guys stayed in the Valley, played on teams that I think, uh, I think Jepson I know went to the NCAA twice. I'm not sure Larisky did because we had that coaching change in the middle, but, but I think, I think he was really, really good. And, and, you know, Tony was as good a high school player as come. I mean, a man that shoots like that and has no conscience, and he, he comes by it genetically. Craig, his dad, was the same way. And Lance, his brother, I mean, they're great, great high school players. But but Tony, uh, you know, could just fire it up all the time from anywhere. And I, th- I think that, uh, you know, there's some, been some other kids that uh, have come through that, you know, are playing in, when they like to play around the rim. You know, Jalen had a great high school run at Skyview, Jalen Moore. Uh, and, and his, you know, they didn't use him much when he was a sophomore, but, but uh, I, I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, and all those guys did well by us at Utah State as well. So I'm kind of prejudiced toward them because uh, they stayed in the Valley. What do you remember about the 1987 state championship game between Skyview Mountain Crest at Romney Stadium? What was Romney Stadium? Yeah, the football game. Yeah, nine seven was oh. the final score. Yeah, it was. It was really. I think it was one of the most brilliant things they pulled off to bring that up here to Romney. Stadium. How did that work out? By the way, do you know like how that all? I mean, because they were going to supposed to be playing like I think in Salt Lake, and then they were able to move it up here. Do you yeah, remember how did. that all kind of came about? And I think I think some people some people stood up to bankroll it a bit, so that they didn't have to because that was before we had the expansion, and there weren't many empty seats because I, I know I was doing something down in Phoenix, and uh, and we Kay and I got on the plane early in the morning to get back, and it was you know a one o'clock game, in in you know pretty late November one p.m. And that, and that that stadium was full, but it was a, a just a, a defensive game that just 
it was all almost always going to be determined on who made the worst turnover. But it was is a really really fun fun game, and that was uh, that was just a year after my son Bart had graduated, so we knew uh, an awful lot of those kids on both teams, and and it was uh, it was just really fun to see it and to have it in the stadium. Uh, but it was uh, it was a hard played football game with. Uh, with not a lot of offense. They just knocked it out. Jack Robinson was coaching out at Mountain Crest, and he had been the coach at Skyview. He had been a USU assistant, and he knew how to have people block and tackle and block and tackle. And it was just fight it out at the line of scrimmage, fellas. It was good. Uh, Ross, your time with Utah State, well, you were at Utah State, um, uh, were you involved with? Uh, uh, well, let me put it this way: I know that sometimes the the university, their athletics department, they involve other people on campus to be involved with either coaching searches or discussions about conference affiliation. Were you ever involved in some of those discussions? Uh, I was a little bit when uh, you know we went we went through a very chaotic time. When, when most of the teams in the Big West gave up football. And this would have been like 1999, 2000 period. And we were trying to, you know, we flirted with the, uh, know, what do they call that? The, you know, the, it's still the, the Sun Belt? The, yeah, the Sun Belt. And so we were going, you know, to Arkansas State and Louisiana Tech and, and uh, we're trying to put together a conference that went from Moscow, Idaho to the Deep South. And, uh, and there was a big debate for, for a little while there about maybe we ought to go independent again. And uh, I got in the middle of that. Did you have you heard about this? No. Well, they uh, we were also in a transition between athletic directors. Uh, president Emmert was the president, and uh, and uh, Chuck Bell had had left and. And they went through interim, uh, and uh, and the interim guys thought that we could make it as an independent. Well, I, I knew from my experience in when I first came here in the 70s for how hard it was to schedule basketball, how impossible it was to schedule football, how you to put together a schedule. And we're also right now at a time when you're going into uh, Title IX and full integration of women's athletics. And, and you got to have a conference. I mean, you just can't afford to be sp- sending kids in the middle of the week to play games instead of a you know normal kind of schedule. And, but anyway, they tried uh, they tried independence maybe for a year or two, uh, and and they uh, and they uh, you know they it, it didn't go it didn't go. We quickly uh, I think when uh, when President Hall got here and hired Randy Spetman, we made the move to the WAC, and that that was great. And then, of course, from there to the, I was involved as Vice President of Advancement when we got into the Mountain West, and we had to make some really, um, I mean, that's that's when we were in the in the real phase of expanding all the facilities. You know, the the football, the the weight room, the the Estes Center. Uh, you know, the north end zone. Uh, before we got to the stadium, 
we were putting all those pieces together, and a lot of it was done with private money, and, and that's one of the things that I worked on. Not so much on the actual negotiations, because they're very political, and they're done almost all by university presidents and ADs. What do you remember about the uh, the old school rivalries of uh, of BYU and Utah State in football when Lavelle Edwards was coaching? You know, I, I remember the basketball kind of more. Uh, the the football ones again. It was hard when you were an independent because often that ended up being in the eyes of many of the people your most important game. Yeah, good point. And when I until Lavelle took over. They were not very competitive. And uh, I remember going down there one night. And we beat him like nine to six. You know, it was like that Mountain Crest Skyview game. And uh, but, but when they started really opening up that, uh, you know, going from Gifford Nielsen to Mark Wilson to McMahon to Young, Bosco, all those quarterbacks getting a lot of receivers, tight ends. You know, it was hard. I, you know, I, I remember the victories. <laughs> I've forgotten the defeat because I lost a lot of religion over those defeats. But anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, we beat them up here, I think it was 1982, um, when Steve Young was a quarterback. We should have beat him the year before. It might have been 83 we beat him. Or maybe it was the year after down at Provo. We got a bad call. Al Garner intercepted a pass, but they claimed it hit the ground before. It was inside their five-yard line, but anyway, that's just the way I feel about the rivalry. But the whole, the, I think, uh, you know, I think I think it's actually at a at a pretty good level now, and and part of it's brought about because of the the respect that the football coaches have for each other, and the fact that now BYU's on the outside looking in, that they're an independent, and you know they don't have year to year rivalries that count for them so they got to do what they can do to uh you know to satisfy the local people and so they need to try to play utah state and utah every year and so you know they were always treating us like you know well you come down for two years and we'll come up there for one because they had a conference we didn't and now it's kind of turned turned the tables a little uh, and and you know we've had we've had a good run. We didn't look very good this year, but we had a really good run, and I think will in the future. So it's uh, you know I think I think naturally it should be that we care an awful lot more about beating Boise in football because that's the conference. That's what's going to get you into the division, into the conference title game. You got to go through Boise, and so I. Th- think that should be the bigger rivalry uh, for the players themselves because all of the schools recruits so heavily in Utah now because there's so many college players and a lot of them are related to the Polynesian community the players themselves take those games that BYU game very seriously they really do and I've had a number of the kids from out of state they watch. They just watch the demeanor of the Utah kids change when when they're going to play BYU. So, uh, so I I just think you know there there are a lot of teams we need to beat, <laughs> and uh, you know in the larger scheme of things, to 
to get a good run against Boise is going to be more important. That's great stuff. Hey, Ross, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate you. Uh, really, really good stuff and uh, nice little nice little jog down memory lane. Well, thanks a lot, and I appreciate what you guys do. And I know it's not easy to put things together as often as you do, but it's, it's pretty important right now because people need to be reminded of uh, how important just the day-to-day things we do in life are, and especially how we can support and take care of one another. Absolutely. Good stuff, Ross. Hey, thanks, my man. Okay. Take care, Brian. Right, be good. Thanks, Ross. That's uh, Ross Peterson, uh, former professor at Utah State. Has uh, certainly been around the, the sports scene and the high school athletics and involved with Utah State athletics uh, and uh, just big sports junkie. Yeah, so man. It's kind of fun to go back and some recall some of those heard of players. And you're like, yeah, I know that guy. I was like, what the fetch? I know him. <laughs> That's good stuff. That was a lot of fun. All right, coming back, we're going to get to our movie quiz. What could it be? Yeah. Yes. See if you can get this one. All right, talk coming up. Eric France and RJ Salveson, 106 on FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Aggies, the Jazz, the High Schools, the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric France and Al J. South here on the Full Court Press. Big thanks to Ross Peterson for joining us, talking about some of the good old days in Cash Valley athletics. Some good memories. That was fun. Uh, yeah, well, as you said, a, a stroll down memory lane. I and like when we're talking about like memory lane. We're talking about like boulevards and avenues that don't even <laughs> exist anymore. Seventies, eighties, nineties. Yeah, it was oh, covered man. a lot of that, different. There things. was a lot of that. High um, school, college, multi-sport. Sports specialization, conference realignments. Yeah, we covered a lot of things there with Ross. That was great. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Uh, Eric, uh, it is that time for us to uh, to give out our what is it? Our f- future presentation. And now our feature presentation. Thank you. That's very formal. <laughs> it is a movie quiz. Are right, you ready? Eric's turn. Yes, go ahead. Okay. I must drive. You dig where I'm coming from? Yeah. I dig where you're coming from. Good. Now, dig where I'm coming from. I'm coming from two gold medals. Ah, yes. I'm coming from nine world records in yeah. both the two and four-man events. <laughs> I'm coming from 10 years of intense competition with the best athletes in the world. <laughs> That's a hell of a place to be coming from. <laughs> you see, Senka, the driver has to work harder than anyone. He's the first to show up and the last to leave. When his teammates are all out drinking beer, he's up in his room studying pictures of turns. You see, a driver must remain focused 100% at all times. Not only is he responsible for knowing every inch of every course he races, he's also responsible for the lives of the other three people on his sled. Now, do you want that responsibility? I say we make Doris the driver. So do I, Sanka. So do I. <sighs> Ooh, the back is nice. Ice! Ice? Talk about igloos and penguins and ice? I must drive! Do you dig where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah, did you record this off like a record or something? I dig where I'm coming from. I'm coming from two gold medals. I'm coming from nine world That's records in both the two and four man events. 
I'm coming from 10 years of intense competition with the best athletes in the world. That's a hell of a place to be coming from. You see, Sanka, the driver has to work harder than anyone. He's the first to show up and the last to leave. When his teammates are all out drinking beer, he's up in his room studying pictures of turns. You see, a driver must remain focused 100% at all times. Not only is he responsible for knowing every inch of every course he races, he's also responsible for the lives of the other three people in his sled. Now, do you want that responsibility? I say we make the race to drive him. So do I, Sanka. So do I. Oh, the back is nice. <laughs> cool Runnings is one of the best movies ever. Such a classic. I wish, and it still bothers me today that they didn't get a finish, like, just, they didn't let him finish the race. I just want to see if they would have got a medal. You know? Just, I need to go back. Do you think that's on Disney Plus? Yeah, it is. I got to go back and find that. It is on Disney Plus. I need to watch that with my kids. It is. Dude, that is, like, when he kisses the egg. Oh, yeah, he had this little good luck egg. <laughs> John Candy was so magnificent. Oh, in that movie. it's this beautiful John Candy. Yeah. Uh, I think that was actually second to last movie. I think Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Was it Plane, Trains, and Automobiles? Might have been his last one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, John Candy was fantastic. Um, the Jamaican bobsled team uh, in the uh, Olympics in Calgary, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. In the uh, mid 80s. Yep. Uh, and there was not a lot of people who were fans of them to start. No, they thought that it was a, a joke. They thought it was a mockery. Yep. But um, but that came from the committee. The It has been said that the teams were very supportive of them. In fact, one of them had lent them a practice bobsled to use. They didn't put that in the movie. And so there was other uh, people from other teams who were around during that competition who were upset with the way they were portrayed. Right, because they, they kind of made it look like it's us against the world yes, and no one was when, really accepting. When really that wasn't the case is that the teams were very supportive. The committee was skeptical, very skeptical because they didn't want to get embarrassed. The teams, however, on the other side were very supportive, uh, wanted to see them succeed. Um, yeah, like, and so I, I know I, when I've read things, uh, players were pretty disappointed in the way they were portrayed as being this bully, if you will, of Jamaica, but... Man, that's such a good... I need to go home and watch that now. Cool Oh, runnings. dude, that is such a good movie. Great movie. Awesome, awesome movie. Eric, any news tidbits we need to get to in the last 60 seconds that you've seen so far? Okay, just uh, recap some of the biggest news of the day. An additional case of coronavirus confirmed in Box Elder County. So there's a total of two in Box Elder, four confirmed cases in cash. Uh, from what I understand, all of them are travel-related. Um, there were additional cases reported in Idaho... It's they're really concerned about community spread that's happening there. So their governor came out today and issued a stay home order. So it's basically Idaho's in lockdown to some degree. It's not a real firm lockdown, but it's a stay at home order, which is in line with about more than a dozen other states around the country. Uh, they're trying to get ahead of it. But the social distancing needs to continue in Utah to avoid a lockdown like this. However, Summit County today, they also ordered a stay-home uh, lockdown today in their county. Is there's, there's been some issues there in Summit County. You think it hits cash for uh, this area? Well, it's already here, but uh, we just got to hope to contain it and uh, hope that people are smart. Right. Well, I mean, just uh, the, the lockdown, I guess, is what oh, I was yeah. asking. Oh, uh, yeah. I hope not. If people are smart and they continue to practice social distancing, we'll be, uh, we'll be able to get through it. Good night, everybody.